Shabbat Shalom, and welcome to the Diaspora of Yasharel on the Unexpected Cosmology. My name is Michael, and I'm joined, as always, by Rob and Noel. Tonight, we are continuing our reading of the Hebrew Gospel of John, or Yochanan, chapters 4 and 5. Um, before we start, I'd like to open us up in some prayer, so if we can just bow our heads. Um, Father Most High Yahuwah, we come before you humbly on your set-apart day, your mark, your sign. We ask that you be with us during the study as we hope to get deeper in your word, to learn more about you, your son, and your set-apart ways. We pray for wisdom and understanding and ask that your spirit is with us tonight. We also ask that you water any seeds that are planted and let no false words come out of our mouths. We love you and are all so thankful for this opportunity to come together, fellowship, and read your word. Amen. All right, now I'm going to hand it off to Noel as he starts and reads Yochan in chapter 4, 1 through 45. Thank you, Michael. I can't believe we're already on our third week. Before I begin reading, I, I just wanted to say, this has been a pleasure starting our online Sabbath church with both Michael and Rob, and as, as Michael called it, the Diaspora of Yasharel. I didn't really start to get to know them, uh, Michael and Rob, until they visited my house last spring, but, but was immediately awed by their depth of knowledge, particularly their careful consideration and desire to seek out the hidden mysteries throughout Scripture. Now, in future broadcasts, I hope to put my mug onto camera, just like Michael just did just now. I chose not to this week as a precaution. We are staying on the beach, literally camped on the sand of the Gulf Coast, and so everybody knows it's Thanksgiving week, which means lots of vacationers, using up the Wi-Fi. So for now, and at the threat of being overly robotic or choppy, which may indeed happen tonight anyways, everyone will just have to be content with my voice. So let's go ahead and start reading. This is the Gospel of Yochanan, chapter 4, and of course we'll be reading from the Hebrew, or the English Targum of the Hebrew. Then when Yeshua realized that the Perishim realized that Yeshua made Talmudim and immersed more than Yochanan, although Yeshua did not immerse, only his Talmudim did, they left Yehuda and went to Gilalah again, and he had to pass through Sh Shamron. So Yeshua came into a part of Shamron, which is called Sukkar, near the place which Yaakov gave to Yosef his son. And the spring of Yaakov was there. So Yeshua, being weary because of the way, sat by the spring, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. Then a woman came to draw waters. So Yeshua said to her, Give me some water to drink. Now his Talmudim went into the city to buy some food. Then the Shamronit woman said to him, and of course Shamronit for a Samaritan, You who are Yehudi, do you ask of me to give you water to drink while I am a woman from the place of Shamron? For the Yehudim do not hold company with the Shamronim. Yeshua answered and said to her, If you had known the gift of El, and who he is who asks water to drink, you, you would perhaps ask him, and he would give you living waters. The woman answered him, The well is deep, and you do not have something which, with which you can draw water. So how can you give me living water? Are you greater than Yaakov our father, who gave this well to us, and he drank from this well, and his sons and his cattle? 
Yeshua answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will have thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will not thirst in eternity. But the waters that I give him will become a spring leaping with everlasting life. So the woman said unto him, Give me those waters so that I will not have to thirst and that I will not have to come here to draw waters in eternity. Then Yeshua said to her, Go and call your husband and return here. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. So Yeshua said to her, Truth, you say that you do not have a husband, for you had five husbands, but this one whom you have now is not your husband. Truth, you speak. Then the woman said to him, Adon, I realize that you are a prophet. Our fathers pray to Yahuwah in this mountain, but you say that the place where everyone has to pray to El is in Yerushalayim. So Yeshua said to the woman, Believe me that a time will yet come that you will not worship the Father on this mountain, nor in Yerushalayim. You pray to whom you do not know, but we pray to whom we know, for Shalom is about to come for the Yehudim. But a time will come and is now, and the true worshippers will worship the Father in Ruach and in truth, for the Father asks them that they worship according to these. El is Ruach, and those who pray to him, it is required that they pray to him in Ruach and in truth. So the woman said to him, I know that Mashiach is ready to come, and when he comes, he will reveal many things to us. Then Yeshua said to her, I am he, he who speaks with you. And right then his Talmudim came, and they were astonished when they found him speaking with the woman. However, none of them asked him what he was speaking to her, such as, What do you seek? Or, What do you speak with her? So the woman left her house and went to the city and said to the people, Come and see, a certain man made known to me everything which I had done. He will be Mashiach. Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now, in the meantime, his Talmudim had entreated, um, had entreated him that he should eat. But he said to them, I am about to eat something that you do not know of. So the Talmudim said, Is there someone who brought him something to eat? <laughs> then Yeshua, I always laugh when I read that line. Then Yeshua said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, in order that I can fulfill his work. Do you not say that there are four months from now until the time of the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and see that the crops of the harvest are white already. And he who gathers hires you and gathers fruit according to your everlasting life in order that he who sows and he who gathers may be glad together. For in this case, the word is true that it is one who sows and another who gathers. I, I am sending you to gather that which you have not burdened in. Others are they who burdened over it, but you, you are entering into the labor of their hand. Many uh, Samaritans, or Shamranim, of that city believed in him because of the words of the woman who did witness of him, that he told her everything she had done. So when the Shamranim had come unto him, they entreated him that he should stay there with them. So he stayed two days, and even more people believed in him through his words. And they said to the woman, We do not believe through your words, but we ourselves 
we heard him and know this is, in truth, the Savior of the world. After two days, he departed from there and went into Gilead, and he gave witness that no prophet has honor in his own land. Then when Yeshua came into Gilead, the Gilead received him because they saw everything he did in Jerusalem in the day of the feast, when he came to the day of the feast. All right, Rob, take her away. All right. All right, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll point out some, uh, some of my findings here or, or dive into some of these verses, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do a uh, more of a round-robin dialogue uh, instead of me going through the whole chapter. This way it'll give, give more of a, a conversational flow. So what, I, what I'm going to start with at the beginning here with this interaction between Yahusha and the Samurite woman is uh, it's interesting. Yahusha notices uh, the Pharisees at the beginning here. Says Yahusha, Yahusha realized that the Pharisee realized that Yahusha made the Tal- Talmudim and immersed more than Yochanan. I want to start with that first. And what I thought was that when Yahusha realized that they knew, he had to more or less skate out of there uh, because of the attention that it was bringing to him. Because as we read, he starts out his ministry where he's going into the people, ministering to them, and then once the, quote, authorities or uh the Yaudin get involved, he needs to move on because he knows their heart, he knows their intentions and so forth. So I just wanted to point that out that uh it it we, we see that uh almost like a constant thing where it gets to a point where in his situation he has to move and, and move forward and move move out of that scenario that he's in, whether you know it's in a huge crowd or whether the the authorities are coming in, etc. So I just want to point that out. That was only on verse one. So I just just touch touch on that. And then second, I want to touch on real quick is that the uh, a nice little fact here that this story is not in the other gospels. It's this this one um, of Nicodemus and the water and the wine and and so it's interesting that it's only in in Yochanan that we're reading and hearing about this. So. So, uh, any comments on that, guys? On the first few? One of the... Um, well, Michael, did you want to... I'll let you uh, jump on that first. Um, nothing on those points, but uh, I guess if we're starting off like with one and two, I had a question on why don't you think Yeshua didn't... He did not immerse people. Um, I thought that was interesting, and uh, I couldn't really find many answers. Do you guys have anything on that? Um, and then I also have some things on the Samaritan woman, but we can get to that in a bit. You know, that's a question that I've actually never thought about. And so I could kind of just, you know, speak out loud right now, but I actually have no comment on that. What I do want to say, though, Rob, is 
I actually just lost what you were you were bringing up. Um, well, yeah. What yeah. was the two things? Was uh, you know Yeshua always on the move with the authorities coming in and in those scenarios? It's like you know once once the popularity starts to happen, he has to move on out. Well, on that point, there was another point you made, but on, on that point, I did want to address that because it in Yochanan four one, I actually always find that phrasing a little bit kind of funny. It's like Yeshua realized that the Pharisees realized that Yeshua realized. Um, and this is, so er, everyone who's listening to this, and I probably need to clarify this week after week, that I assume that most people listening are uh, Torah pursuant in some way. And and this this is going to kind of... <sighs> Maybe I don't want to. I don't want to step on any toes here, but I, I think I think Michael and Rob will agree with me. I don't think any of us are Trinitarians. Um, you know, I I personally believe that Yahusha is literally the only begotten Son of the Father. Uh, that we're not seeing some sort of. This is one of those where it it, it, it people would really hone in on Yahusha's humanity here because here we see it says Yeshua realized something. And so this is one of those verses where a Trinitarian would insert Trinity here and then gasp at the implications that, you know, that, um, that, that this almost like this duality that, you know, becoming man. And what I would argue here is that what we're simply seeing here is Yahusha's character. He knows much, but not everything. And this is something that he just didn't know. He realized that the Pharisees realized that he that he realized something. Um, and I just think this gives insight into his character. And I, I will jump ahead here real quick, and I don't want to derail anything, um, but I did want to address this point, was in uh, John chapter 5, 19, and we'll read this a little bit later tonight. But the, I think these two verses connect really well, and I've just lost chapter five. Oh dear, why am I, why is it not coming up? Um, oh yeah, here's what he says, and he's actually talking to the Pharisees here, and it says Yeshua answered and said to them, "Truth, the Son is not able to do anything to you from Himself; only that which He sees done by His Father." For the things which he does, the Son does just like them. For the Father loves the Son and teaches him everything he does, and he will show him greater works than these, because, okay, you are not amazed. And um, so I just I just kind of wanted to throw that out there, that um, Yahushua is not all-knowing, um, and nowhere is this like a, a residue of like some sort of, you know, split between him and the father like his you know you know i'm not even i don't even advocate modalism that you know jesus is the father and the father is jesus or whatever else it just it's literally what we see in this context here is that yahusha does everything he does because he observed his father directly and he you know responded to it he acts exactly as the father acts and that's all i wanted to um touch there so hopefully that didn't derail anything um, Rob, before no. we continue, I, I think we should, I have some like basic stuff on the Samaritans that we can, then we can go more down on that. Um, they, they believed Yahweh in Yahweh, but they worshiped them at Gerizim instead of Jerusalem. And they, they adopted their own, worship practices 
And here's what I thought was interesting. They had their own Pentateuch, but it was in Aramaic. So I thought that was different than the Hebrew Pentateuch. So they're very mm. close, but they, they did have also differences as well. Um, and Rob, you can continue. I have way more than the Samaritans, but I thought that was a good intro on it. So. No, good share. Thank you. Um, the, the only other thing I wanted to mention in that beginning part is uh, on, I, I made a little note on verse five with the, the land that was the place where Yaakov gave to Yosef, his son. Uh, you know, Yaakov bought that land for 100 pieces of silver or 100, 100 lambs, depending on which uh, translation you're looking at, from Hamar, Shechem's father. And that's where uh, Joseph was, was buried. Uh, that and then uh, another point I wanted to point out on verse nine regarding the the Shemer Samaritans is is an interesting fact. When we're talking about the Samaritans here. Uh, you think about the 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 ten lepers that were healed by Yahusha. That the one that came back and and thanked him, he was a Samaritan. So just a few more things on that. And then uh, verse 10, I'll go into next go around here. I'm going to go deeper into that one. So any thoughts on those verses? Michael? Uh, just, I mean, if, if he's going to stop at 10, I do have one thing before that. Um, I just wanted to talk about um, meeting women at the well. Um, you know, you know, the Hebrew Bible recounts several women meeting their future spouses at wells. Um, Rebecca, Rachel, Moses, and Zipporah. And now we see this Samaritan woman. And I'm just wondering, throwing the question out there, is this another, like, foreshadowing of Shua and the lost sheep ride kind of thing? Do you guys see that, or is that a reach? Well, that is... I, I haven't thought about the foreshadowing, but they do address the controversy here that his Talmudim show up and they're like, uh, what are you doing? Right? Like why, why are you, and there is, there, it, there's a lot of connotations of, you know, you, <laughs> Moshe met his wife, uh, I think it was at a well, right? Um, with the, the shepherds. And of course, as you mentioned, um, uh, was it, um, uh, let's see. Oh, Eliezer met, uh, Yitchak's, Yitchak's, uh, wife, as well as, um, Yaakov met his wife, uh, actually his second wife. Uh, he actually met, <laughs> he met, uh, uh, Re uh, Rachel there, but yeah. then he ended up marrying Leah, but well, you, you, you know, the story, but so, yeah, it's, it's probably, I mean, it was probably extremely scandalous for, uh, a guy, a dude to show up and start talking to a woman there. Um, that's that's all I have on that. I mean, they show up and they're like, "What are you doing?" And they didn't. They didn't. It's it's funny. I always laugh when they say that because like they had all these questions they wanted to ask him, but they didn't dare ask questions. Yeah, Michael, I think that's a, a good tie-in. What you mentioned there with with the uh, Yahusha going to the well, um, with it comparing to to us, so to speak. Yeah, I like that. All right, so all right, we uh, um, we may move forward one verse ten. Yeah, go ahead. Any, anything else that we got? This one here is is one that interested me um, from my past, uh, being you know an upbringing in the evangelical teachings and so forth. That 
we're, we're talking about uh, Yeshua answered and said to her, if you had known the gift of El, and you would have asked, and, and he who asks water to drink you, you would perhaps ask him, and he would give you living waters. So what is the gift of El? And that, you know, we see scriptures throughout, and I want to go down uh, several scriptures here talking about what is the gift of, of El or gift of Yah, and, and really uh, uh, dig a little deeper on that so that we, we all have a good understanding on that instead of generalities that I know I had in the past. Uh, one thing I want to mention is that word gift. That word gift there is uh, G1431, uh, and it is used, you know, obviously as gift, but also meaning meaning in gratuity uh, and and used in the uh, Septuagint, especially uh, when you look at that word Septuagint in the Old Testament area, you'll see that it's mostly used as without charge, without cause, without pay, you know, a gift being freely given. So you, you see that word is mostly used as without charge. So if you look, if you think about gift of Yah as without a charge from Yah, and you start plugging that into the scriptures, I think it makes much clearer sense to me with what that means than just, you know, a gift of Yah. Uh, because we read, I'm going to read some verses here. Uh, John 4.10, Yahusha answered and said to her, if you knew it without charge of Elohim, and who it is who says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and you would have given, uh, had given you living water. So in the Gospel of John, it does not necessarily define what that gift is. So looking at the other scriptures to see, a, uh, let the scriptures answer that question, uh, I'll start with the Old, Old Testament, the, the uh, Tanakh, that we see that uh, Ecclesiastes 5.19, further, when Elohim has given any man riches and wealth and permitted him to enjoy them and to receive his portion and rejoice in his labor, this is a gift of Elohim. So we just, just read what that gift is. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.13, also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy good in all his labor is the gift of Elohim. And we read in Sirach 11, 17, the gift of Yah abides with the godly and his good pleasure with, will prosper forever. So, and then we read in, in the, uh, the, the gospels, uh, what that is, 2 Corinthians 9, 15 is referring to the favor of Yah given to you. Acts 8.20, but Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of Yah, which is without a charge from Yah with money, which is referring to uh, this power through laying on hands, which is the Ruach HaKodesh. So, he, so we see that this uh, gift is this power. Uh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, we all know this one, but the free favor or gift of Elohim is everlasting life in Yahushua, Messiah, or Adonai. The writer states, uh, you being enslaved or servant to Yah, 
that you have your fruit in moral purity. So, oh, oh, Ephesians 2.8, For by favor you have been preserved through belief, and not of yourselves. It is the offering, sacrifice, the gift of Elohim. So that's by favor. That's the gift, is the favor. Uh, and Ephesians 3.7, uh, Paul became a servant according to the gift of the favor of Elohim. So the conclusion of what the gift of Yah is in, in this reference, what, what, is, what is that? It's favor. Uh, that favor is life blessings. So that gift is, is favor of life blessings. So that is one. Second is the Ruach HaKodesh. And the third is everlasting life in, in Yahusha. So that gift is the Ruach HaKodesh, everlasting life, and it's favor that we are given to us who believe and are obedient. We're given favor. We're given blessings. We're given uh, wealth, riches, whatever that may be that that is going to be bestowed upon us for our love, our obedience, our uh, our faith, faithfulness. So I wanted to define that with the scriptures so that we could see those are the things that, that we get. Most of us see it as, oh, it's everlasting life, this gift of Yah. Well, it, yeah, it's the Ruach HaKodesh, the gift of uh, everlasting life, but it's also favor that we are given. And if we are not being given favor in our walk, we should truly examine ourselves in our walk to see where we're at. Because the best judge is self-examination for our own fruit. So that's I wanted to answer that question on gift of Yah. Any thoughts? I had something on the living waters, but if Noel has something, you can go first. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about was the um, the the waters that I noticed in John 4.14. And this is one of the... Um, I'm going to read from the, the Greek quickly here, and then we'll compare it to the Hebrew. And it's hard when I'm doing these readings for if people are just listening in, if, you're, if you don't have the Greek or the Texas Receptus, uh, you know, King James or whatever in front of you. And in verse 14 in the in the Greek, this is the the old the verse that we all know, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then the woman said unto him, "Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw." All right, so now this is one of the uh, the first major differences we see in this chapter uh, between the Greek and the Hebrew. So this is what Yahushua actually says here. Whosoever drinks of this water will have thirst again, but whoever drinks of the waters that I will give him will not thirst in eternity. Okay, so huge difference here between never thirst again and I'm hearing myself on the on somebody's other line. Um, it's a huge difference between never thirst again and thirst in eternity. And then, of course, it goes on from there. But whosoever drinks of the waters that I will give him will not thirst in eternity, but the waters that I will give him will become a spring leaping with everlasting life. And this is this is what I love here. All right, this this is the woman's response in the Hebrew. So the woman said unto him, "Give me those waters, so that I will not have." thirst and that I will not have to come here to draw waters in eternity. Now this goes, this again goes back to my re repeated statements 
that being born again, now this is just my personal view, that being born again is a reference to the resurrection. I understand that there are uh, you know, types and shadows and that you, know, you, could, you could argue that being born again is you know, you're the Ruach HaKadosh in this life. But what I constantly, constantly see Yahushua pointing to is the resurrection to come. So we can argue on whether or not we're born of water and of Ruach in this life. Water certainly, uh, certainly is true at our physical birth and our baptism, but we'll also be born again out of the womb of the earth in Ruach and water. Now, it's like people who claim, you know, people who claim all the time that they don't have to keep the fourth commandment because Jesus is their Sabbath rest. And I'm always like, oh, really? Like, you never sleep? Your body never needs rest? Or is it only on weeknights? You know, tell me, does your diet of bread and water come from Jesus as well? And this is one of those things. Like when people say, yeah, they, they don't need to keep Sabbath because Jesus is their Sabbath rest whenever they feel like it. And this is what we're always pulling out of context. So this is what I like about the Hebrew. It's almost like um, if you've ever tried to build ikea furniture and you know maybe you, you you build the whole desk and it's like still a little wobbly and you're like ah what what did i do wrong here you know you like you have to tighten some of the screws and stuff like that and i feel like this is tightening the screws on the vision and it's just it's 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 letting us know that you know yes you are literally going to thirst in this life again you have to go drink water or you will die and but here we see that the thirst no more will be for those in eternity and that Yahusha is that spring that comes up. So just wanted to throw that, that that was a, just a nice little touch in the differences between the Hebrew and the Greek. Um, yeah, I just had something real quick, nothing too crazy, but um, on the living waters, um, Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living waters, to carve out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold the water. And I was reading um, that well water, which is where he met the Samaritan, was likely consumed by both humans and livestock, whereas water collected from cisterns was used for agricultural activities. So I just thought that was interesting that these people chose for they chose the cisterns and that they were broken and they cannot even hold water. Um, and then I wanted to reference Robin I's presentation we did on wisdom and the holy family that the power of elohim is water and that is half of your baptized body and it's very important and i i just emphasize to do a study on the living waters and you you'll be amazed on on what it shows you but that's all i have for 10. yeah um regarding the water i can add something to that too is that in uh when we read in john uh chapter 7 38 39 it references the the rivers of living water from within is the ruach hakodesh so we see here a tie-in between the ruach hakodesh and also uh between yeshua um Furthermore, you know, I, I do have more on, on, on that from the waters. Uh, also in Revelation 21, 6, he said to me, I have become the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, 
I will give freely, this is back, that, back to that word, gift, which is, here is translated as freely, I will give freely to him who is thirsty from the spring of the water of life. So we can read that as, I will give without charge to him who is thirsty from the spring of the water of life. And we also read that in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. He who hears, let him say, come. He who is thirsty, let him come. He who desires, let him take the water of life without charge. So here we, we you know, some more pieces of, of the water of life being given without charge uh, offered to those of us who are in the body. Uh, and, and also, as I mentioned, the Ruach also is referred to as those rivers of living water. All right, any, any follow-up on that before I move on? Good stuff. Nope. Okay, my next, my next point out I'm going to have is on uh, uh, something I want to maybe Noel to elaborate on. It's 21. <clears throat> We're talking about Yeshua said to the woman, believe me that a time will come that you will not worship the Father on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So I, I know we had this conversation, I think it was this, yeah, this Thursday on the mountain and, and Jerusalem and the, the Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, etc. Um, what is your take on this here? Is this, is this that mountain um, nor in Jerusalem uh, regarding of our conversation? And what his statement saying? Are you guys reading anything else into that? I'm not. I mean, I I was going to ask that same question. I've always looked at that, and you know, it, it it yeah. I've always had a lot of questions about that. Okay. Um, the only thing I have to Michael? add is, just, is the only thing I have to add is just what I added earlier that the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim instead of. Jerusalem. So I think it's kind of referencing the Samaritan take on that. Um, but you're right, though. Where would they? Where would they be worshiping now? I don't. Yeah. Um, now keep in mind. Keep in mind here the the context. I mean, what really threw me off, and I don't have an answer for this, is in verse 22. It it reads differently in the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, the Greek says. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, and this is the change. For salvation is of the Jews, or you could say for salvation is of the Yahudim. But here he doesn't say that. He says, for shalom is about to come for the Yahudim. So, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the context here to the to the mountain that you know you worship on this mountain, we worship on the, that mountain, and and you know you're about to not worship it either. I had the same question. Well, yeah, yeah, because I wanted to know about the the actual physical place, whether there was a tie-in, if you guys saw anything, because my, the only tie-in I have is the discussion about worshiping in in spirit and truth. So that that was my thought that he was either referencing this worshiping in the spirit and truth, or he was referencing in the future uh, another location that uh, worship will be done quote at 
Uh, so that was that was my thoughts. Um, it's a good yeah. thought. I, I just don't have an answer for it. Yep. Okay. Now, twenty three and twenty four. Where uh, a true worshippers will worship the Father in Ruach and in truth. For the Father seeks them that they worship according to these. Now, these is referencing back to the Ruach and truth. So the Father seeks them that worship according to the Ruach and truth, and that is a feminine plural, which I found very interesting, uh, Ruach and truth. So regarding the spirit and truth, what I wanted to discuss and define what the worshiping in spirit and truth uh, entails, at least uh, uh, from what I, I pulled together here. On uh, I'll start with truth. I'm going to go down some verses on this too, what truth is when the scriptures are referencing worship in spirit and truth. Uh, truth is, uh, first of all, it is holding to the teachings of Yahusha. That is truth. John 8, 31 32, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus. I may not have all the translations here uh, in, 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 from, from one, one location, so I may say Jesus and so forth here. Uh, said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So holding to his teachings. Uh, Psalms 33, 4, for the word of Yahuwah is straight, and his works are in truth. So it's his words. Who is the word? Then, then John 8, 31, 32, then Yahushua said to the Yahudim who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you will become my Tamadim in truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will fulfill your request. Second meaning of the truth is fellowship with Yah and one another. And we see that in 1 John uh, 1, 5 through 7. So fellowship with Yah and one another is truth. That is what we are to do. That is truth. Uh, third po po point is knowing we are sinners. That is truth. 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we got there's reflection and repentance on that. So know, knowing that we are sinners is true, is truth. Uh, truth is Yah's word. Just I just mentioned that in John and in John 17, 14 through 19. Uh, I have given them your words, and the world had a report against them. I do not plead that you will take them from the world, but that you will keep them from evil. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119, 160. All of your words are truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances endures forever. Here we go. Referencing the truth is Yah's word. John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, If you are if you are the king, Yeshua answered, But if so, Pilate said, If so, are you king? Yeshua answered, You say that I am king. For this matter I was born, and because of this I came to the world, to do truthful witness. Every man who is truthful obeys my words. And the fifth, the, the fifth and last part of the truth, the truth is the Ruach HaKodesh. So you, and, we, and you'll continue to see this pattern that we're, we're, 
these these points to Yahusha, also has points to Yah, also has points to the Ruach, because all three are involved in the works of the Most High. They're, they're all obedient to him. They're all doing his will. So in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, in whom also you, having heard the word of the truth, the good news of your deliverance, in whom also, having trusted, you were sealed by the Ruach, the message of the Holy, who is the deposit of your inheritance, in the release by ransom, the procurement in high praise and glory. So we see here that the, the Ruach is also truth. John 16, 13 through 15 also confirms the Ruach of truth will come and she will teach you all truth. And it's also in Psalms um, uh, 25, 5. So the truth is uh, holding to the teachings of Yahusha, fellowship with Yah and one of another. We go back to loving Yah and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Truth is knowing we are sinners, and truth is Yah's word. We all that one's a pretty obvious one there. And then the truth is the Ruach Hakodesh. So when we're when we're talking about this uh, worshiping in truth and spirit, you know that is the truth. We have to be able to be doing these things to be walking in truth, for that is what truth is. And then in the spirit, I mean there's more to the spirit right there. Um, and I'll try to quickly go through these. Uh, there's, I got three points on the spirit. What is the spirit when you're worshiping in truth and spirit? And I'll, I'll cover these quickly here. One is the circumcision of the heart. So that is spirit. Spirit is the circumcision of the heart. Uh, we read in uh, uh, Romans 2.29, but the Jew is he who is so inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in Ruach, not literally or not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from Elohim. So regarding uncircumcised hearts, uh, Stephen speaking to the high priest and the others in, in Acts uh, 7.51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Ruach HaKodesh, as your fathers did, so do you. So circumcision of the heart is worshiping it in spirit. Uh, second is the actions from the heart. So our actions from the heart is worshiping in the spirit, and what those actions are defined. And the definitions of those actions that we should be worshiping in spirit are found in, the, in what we call the fruits of the spirits, Galatians 5, 22, 23. But in the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control, modesty, chastity. That was from the Wycliffe version, and uh, I'll drop in the post to here later another version uh, on a meme on that I have, too, that I think is a little bit more clear. Uh, and then 1 Timothy 6.11 goes into a little bit more detail, talking about righteousness, piety, fidelity, love, endurance, and humility are also uh, definitions of the actions from the heart. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 also gives a, gives a few more, uh, being tenderhearted and forgiving others. So. Uh, let's see here. So with that, and then the last one is righteousness. Righteousness in, in uh, Philippians 1.11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are through Yahusha Mashiach to the glory and praise of Yah. So we, we see that the, the worshiping in Ruach is circumcision of the heart, 
all of the actions that we are worshiping in, the things that we are doing, are the actions that come from the heart, which are the fruits of the Spirit. And I just listed all of those. Those come from the heart. And also righteousness. So we, when, when we're looking at worshiping, you know, the general consensus, people think of worshiping as praising and singing and, and that. You know, worship it is our actions, but those actions are coming from the heart in the things that we do. And those things should be the, the, the love, peace, joy, gentleness, humility, uh, uh, piety, long-suffering, uh, etc. Is, is, all of that is worship, because that is obedience. So when it, I wanted to kind of define that here and explain all of that when we're talking about worshiping and in, in, in truth and in spirit. It entails uh, uh, much depth of just two words. These words mean a multiple things that we should be doing and we should know these things in order to walk this way in shalom, peace and love and joy. So uh that I, that I wanted to speak about the the truth and spirit. You guys have anything to add uh, regarding that? Um, if no, I only have something real quick. Um, on twenty three, I I love how it says the Father asks them that they worship according to these. That's that's kind of awesome. Um, the only cross reference I have on twenty three, and I'll just I'll read the Hebrew if people aren't uh, reading it right now, but or looking at it. But a time will come and is now that the true worshipers will worship the Father in Ruach and in truth. For the Father asks them that they worship according to these. Um, I have Joshua 24, 14. It's not exactly, but I think it gives a decent definition. Um, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And now here's where I think it it's, is the definition of that. And do away with the gods which your fathers served. So I think that's what it means to walk in sincerity or spirit and truth. And then the only thing on 24, um, I'll read 24. El is Ruach, and those who pray to him, it is required that they pray to him in Ruach and in truth. Um, a lot of the rebuttals on the on the wisdom topic is that we would, me and Rob would get, is that, you know, the father isn't a spirit. He's so much more than that. But I just love how the Hebrew literally says L is Ruach, and it says it's him. So it kind of shuts that up. But, um, and then finally, I, I love how it, how it's, uh, it says it's, we are required that we pray to him in Ruach and truth. Uh, so that emphasizes it so much more. And I think we should all study and make sure we all have the exact definition on what it means to, to pray to him in Ruach and truth. And I just have one last cross-reference, and that is 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, the seminary, they, they take that and run with it. But in reality, if you're obeying, there is freedom, right? It's, it's when you, the penalty of the law comes on you. That's when you're confined and put in jail, right? So I just thought that was awesome. And we'll hand it off to Noel now. Thank you. Most of what I focused on in this chapter was comparing the Hebrew to the Greek. And there are some notable um, 
differences here. One of the ones I talked about earlier that I had always taken the passage of, you know, you won't you won't worship on this mountain or Yerushalayim to be prophetic, which I think it is, you know, prophetic to the destruction of the temple. By the way, and I should have mentioned earlier, those those technically are kind of fighting words. I mean, if he he was saying this privately to the woman, but if like he's actually going and going around and, you know, there's a reason why he was crucified, guys, right? Like, if he's going around and he's telling people, like, uh, you're not going to be, um, you, I'm taking that power away from those people at the temple, they're not going to be worshiping there. Those are fighting words. That's 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 a matter of getting people really upset. Now, before I give my f- further observations of this chapter, I want to give a, a quick story uh, about that in my own experience. 20 years ago, when my wife and I got married, we decided that our at our church, we wanted to start a young marriage group and invest in young marriages because our church didn't have one. Well, the, the church uh, elders and pastors quickly told us that they were not interested in a young marriage group, uh, that they were not going to have that at their church. So my wife and I and one other young married couple, we decided, well, if they're not going to allow it during the Sunday school hour, we are going to go, we, we're going to start one anyways. And they said, then you will be excused from the campus. You have to leave. And we said, okay. So it, 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 it wasn't as nasty as it sounds, but we, so we're like, okay. So we went to a coffee shop <laughs> down the street on on Sunday morning during Sunday school and started having our meetings. And other people in the church started hearing about it and they started coming and we started getting a gathering. Well, the church couldn't have that, the pastors. And they were like, they were like, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. They, they, they started seeing that people actually wanted this. They're like, okay, you can meet on the campus, but you have to meet outside. We won't let you in the building. And so we were like, <laughs> and I can't believe I, we stayed at the church. It was awful. But so then we're like, okay. So we went out and we stayed out. We were out on the patio, like in the, like the, 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 the front entrance. And they gave us a table and we started bringing more people out. Well, then it was an eyesore and they finally had to stick us into the janitor closet. And then we graduated on up. But this is what, what kind of what I read of that passage when he's saying like, yeah, you're not even going to be worshiping the father in Jerusalem. Like it's going to be elsewhere. And the only thing that throws me off is when the Hebrew asks, uh, adds that um, the the Yahudim will have shalom, which I find a little, I, I can't explain that. I don't know what that means. So we see a couple other parts in this chapter that that have my interest. One is that the woman personally says in Yochanan 420, uh, she says the name of the father. Now, of course, in the other one, it says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. But here it says, our fathers prayed to Yahuwah in this mountain. I always love to see that. And we, we've we seen time and again, uh, I pointed out the first week that we never see the name of the father in the Gospel of John in the Greek, which tells us they took it out. Why? Was that hostile? I don't know. I mean, why wouldn't the Greek audience, uh, was it, I mean, you know, we, we're told that it's taboo in, in Judaism to, to give the name of the Father. Why would the Greeks find that so taboo? I don't know. Well, next, that leads me to John 4.25 in the Greek, which says this, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. That's a really weird statement that she says, I know that Messiah cometh. And then she adds, which is called Christ. Why would she say that? Why would she suddenly speak to Yahusha and say, in Greek, that means, you know, he's called Christ. And this is one of the things that uh, many commentators have insinuated or, or stressed that 
this book was written to the Greeks and not the Yahudim. We saw in the first chapter that's not true. And what do you know? In the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. This is how it reads. So the woman said to him, I know that Mashiach is ready to come. And when he comes, he will reveal many things to us. So we can see that there was a uh, one of the scribes who was writing this into the Greek, the translators. He decided to add his little note in there, you know, kind of his, just as an explanation. Uh, you know, he's called Messiah in Hebrew, guys, but you guys know him as Christ, right? So that's, 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 Really interesting. Now, here's the here's the biggest difference between the two, um, and this needs to be addressed because we saw this again in Yochanan chapter one verse seventeen. If everyone remembers the but argument, remember uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by you know Jesus. We learned that the but was never there; it was added. We also stressed that uh, the Hebrew says through Moses not by Moses, huge difference. Well, here in verse uh, chapter 5, or I'm sorry, uh, chapter 4, verse 34, we see something, you know, another dispensationalist type of verse. The Greek says this, Jesus, uh, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Ouch. All right. So here we see, you know, Jesus, he, he, Finished the work. It's done away with now, right? You know, the son came to undo the father's work. Well, here's what the Hebrew says, and it makes total sense. Then Yeshua said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me in order that I can fulfill his work. Well, that makes sense. That sounds like something Yahushua would say. Where have we read that before? It comes from Matthew. We can cross references to the gospel of Matthew 5.17. And here's what it says. This is what he he says. I think he's speaking to the Pharisees here. He says, Think not that I come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, Messiah begins by telling us what not to think. Think not, okay? Think not that I come to destroy the Torah. It's almost humorous, okay? So he didn't come to destroy the Torah. But then... I mean, a lot of good that does because apparently um, the goyim, you know, the, the Gentiles here, destroy Torah and run with it. He even says it twice, just to be certain that nobody misquotes him. Okay, so he said, after saying, think not, he then he reminds us again, I am not come to destroy, guys, but to fulfill. And of course, people hear the word fulfill and they say, oh, well, that means destroy. Even though he just told us, it doesn't mean destroy. So, I want to throw that in there. Those are the big differences I saw between the Greek and Hebrew. Rob, back to you. Hey, hey Rob, um, how about I finish up mine to the 45, then you can, and then because you, you're reading the next part. It'll be a good transition. Does that, does that work? I mean, I'm fine with that. I only got two th two other things to point out on this one, but go, that that is fine. But uh, regarding Noel's Noel's piece there, that I, that was very interesting to catch verse 25, which is called Christ. Uh, to me, it, it it looks like it was like the translator added that just to clarify um, uh, and and to to show that. Whoever was translating this wanted to uh, identify what that meant to the Greek uh, reader. But, yeah, precise, yeah. And, and, and precisely, like if you read it in the context of what she's saying, it's really weird that she would say that to him, that, you know, you're Messiah, which is called Christ in the Greek. Like, that's just weird. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah. And right, Michael, you want to you sure. go? And it's weird that they didn't put it in parentheses like the KGB usually does when they insert words. They're basically insinuating that that was in the Greek. 
And like Noel said, I don't think that's possible. Um, but uh, I just had three things to finish off this part, first part, and then Rob will give his commentary and then read the second part. Um, uh, 26, uh, Jesus sa saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And the Hebrew, then Yeshua said to her, I am he, he who speaks with you. And this is in reference to, um, I know that Messiah cometh, um, which we just talked about. Um, I just wanted to make, you know, let it be known that this is the first time Yeshua claims to be the Messiah. And I thought that was interesting that he did it to a Samaritan and not his Jewish brethren. Um, you know, we can go down rabbit holes on why, but uh, one cross-reference is Isaiah 41.4, who has performed and accomplished it, summoning the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am he. So he's basically saying I am he in both cases. Um, and like I said, I just want to emphasize again, this is the first time we hear him claim that he's the Messiah. Um, the next thing, uh, 32 and 33 Let's see. But he said to them, I am about to eat something that you do not know of. So the Talmudim said, is there someone who brought him something to eat? And I just want to highlight that it's the same thing that Nicodemus and Samaritan woman and even his own disciples, they always went to the literal or tangible thing and not the spiritual meaning, which is what he's saying. So it just continues. Even his own disciples went that, you know. You know, it makes it out to seem that Nicodemus was, you know, so off and the Samaritan, but even the same people that were following him went to the literal, tangible thing first and not the spiritual meaning, which Yeshua was trying to get out there. And then finally, on this part, um, 34, um, then Yeshua said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me in order that I can fulfill his work. And my food is to do the will of him. And I just, I'm asking the question, how can the will of the father be a separate religion you know i don't i just can't having not grown up in church i just don't i just i just can't see it i just can't see how it's it's a separate thing it, he says it so many times he's doing the will of his father and that's his food and i'll just end it here with um the deuteronomy 8 3 passage that talks about you know and he humbled you and let you go hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that men shall not live on bread alone, but shall live in everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Um, that's the food. So manna from above. Um, and, and with that, I'll just give it up to Rob. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll comment on 34 there, too, is, uh, you know, my food is the will of Yah. That I perform, that I may perform his work. Uh, you know, this world is talking about sustainability. Well, that sustainability is is the food. Uh, that that food is the will of Yah. That's sustainability, uh, and we know that. We understand that if we want to uh, have us have an everlasting life, it is to be and do the will of Yah. And we have two verses that. Uh, I'm going to read to confirm that. Psalm 48, 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, my Yah. Yes, your law is within my heart. And then we read in Job 23, 12. I haven't gone back from my commandment of his lips. I have treasured up the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So we we understand that when he's referring to the food is the will of Yah, uh, 
that is the sustainability of doing doing and walking out of his commands, his will, what he wants done. So just further expounding on on that, Michael. Um, I think lastly, I had on this one little comment on verse 40. Uh, they stayed two days. Uh, Yeshua stayed two, two, two days in Samaria. Uh, it was be, I think it was because they, they entreated him. They begged him to stay. Um, they, you know, they, they believed in him. And because of that, and we read many times, uh, even in, uh, I, I forgot the proverb that talks about, you know, will not a, uh, 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 even an unlawful judge or a judge of the pagans uh, answer the requests of a person that continuously asks and asks and asks. And I, I forgot who uses the, the analogy of that. I'm going, I'm going up top of my head right now. And, and this reminds me of that, that, you know, if you beg and entreat and pray, and it talks about us humbling ourselves and praying and persistently praying, um, then we grab the attention of our father. That's for sure. All right, anything to add before I move on to and start? No, sir. Okay. Go right on here, Rob. All right, I'm going to finish chapter four and then go, and then do part of chapter five. So chapter four, verse 46. Then he came again in Galila, Galila, sorry, to the place where he had made wine out of water. Now there was a small king there who had a sick son in Kephar Nakam. So when he heard that Yeshua came from Yehuda in Galilee, he went unto him that he would come down to heal his son, for he was in danger to die. Then Yeshua said to him, Will you not believe except you see signs and miracles? So the nobleman said to him, Add on, come down before my son dies. Yeshua asked, said, to, said unto him, Go, your son is alive. And the man believed, and the word which Yeshua said to him, and went away. So after he was content to go down, his, <clears throat> to go down, his servants came up to him and told him that his son lived. So he asked that they should tell him the time that the well-being returned to him. They said to him, Yesterday, in the seventh hour of the day, the fever left him. Then the father realized that that was the hour when Yeshua told him that his son was alive, and all his household believed in him. This was the second sign that Yeshua did in Beit Galila when he came from Yehuda. Chapter 5, verse 1. Well, I think we should stop there and finish it out with commentary, and yep. then you can read. Let's finish it out. No, yeah, I agree. So go ahead, add, add what you got there. Well, I, the only thing I wanted to add on this part here is on 48. Uh, Yeshua said unto them, you will not believe except you see signs and miracles. You know, his comment, I think it's, uh, you know, referring back to no prophet has honor in his own land. You know, it's like you got to see signs and miracles here for, you know, for you to believe. I think he was referring to that because we see that in the context here. And I, I think that the, the people, unfortunately, needed or had to 
uh, have that in order to believe. But but when those things happened, they believed. Uh, that was my only comment for that that section on that one. Yeah, I didn't have anything either, Michael. Uh, if you had something, then Rob, just keep reading. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I did real quick. Two things. Um, 47. Um, I just wanted to point out that so when he heard, um, so basically Capernaum or what's it called in the Hebrew? Capernaum to Galilee is 15 miles. And Yeshua walked that in order to heal this, this sick son. So I just thought that was a nice little detail there. Um, and then finally, number 50, Yeshua said unto him, go, your son is alive. And the man believed the word which Yeshua said to him and went away. And I just have a cross reference. Um, First Kings 17, 23, Elijah then took the boy and brought him down from the upstairs room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. So I just thought that was another, you know, foreshadowing Elijah with, with Yeshua. And that's all I had for the, the rest of chapter four. All right, chapter five, <clears throat> I'll read through uh, verse 17. After these things, there was a feast day of the Yaudim. So Yeshua went, to, went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, they, uh, there was a covered dugout pool where the waters were collected, which is called Beit Thayaida. Hopefully I said that right in Hebrew tongue, and it had seven as ascents, which is like ramps or staircases. There were many people lying there, sick, blind, lame, and watered, which is possibly swollen with water, uh, waiting on the moving of the waters to heal them of any sickness which they were sick with. And a certain man was there who had been sick 38 years. So when Yeshua saw him lying down, knowing that he stayed sick for a long time, he said to him, Do you desire to be healthy? Then the sick one answered him, Add on, I do not have someone who can place me in the dugout pool at the time when the waters become turbid. And when I want to go, another already went before me. So Yeshua said to him, Arise, lift up your bed and walk. And immediately he was made healthy. And he lifted up his bed and went away. Now that day was Shabbat. Therefore, the Yahudim said, It is Shabbat. And is it pro not proper for you to lift up your bed? So he answered them, he, did, he who did this to me said unto me, Lift up your bed and walk. But he did not know who it was who had healed him. For Yeshua hid himself from the people who were in that place. Then Yeshua found him in the sanctuary and said to him, Behold, you are healthy. From now and onward, do not desire to sin, lest a bad thing happens to you. So that man went and said to the Yadin that Yeshua had healed him. So they said, Even because of, of this, does Yeshua go around in Yehuda? to do these things on the Sabbath? But Yeshua answered, My father works until now, and therefore I, I work just so. That ends 17 of this part. And uh, Noel, do you, you want to start with 
Or is it Michael? Michael, you want to start with any comments? Off, that's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, I I have no answer. It is more of a question, but there's no angel in number four in the Hebrew. Um, for an angel went. It is the Greek. For an angel went down to a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after troubling the water stepped, it was made whole of whatsoever disease. Um, however, in both instances, the water would be the one that's healing them. Um, then I was doing some research, and a lot of the Greek manuscripts didn't have this one. So whatever the KGB used was one of the only ones that did have this whole sentence there. Um, and then my next comment is on, I guess, number 10, where it's basically about not doing things on Shabbat. And I actually look, because this is rabbinic teaching here, that Yeshua is going to be rebuking. Um, this is from the Mishnah Shabbat 7-2, and these are their rules on what, and I'm only giving you like 40% of what they can't do on Shabbat. And I'll just start with sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, bleaching, hacking, dyeing, spinning, stretching the threads, the making of two meshes, weaving two threads, dividing two threads, untying, sewing and tearing in order to sew two stitches. But I just wanted to point out that they were getting on the, the sick man for pulling his bed and, and moving on Shabbat. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, I have some more, but I'll, I'll let you guys continue. So when it comes to the... I was actually a little sad to see... Because I, I love supernatural explanations, and I was a little sad to see the angel go bye-bye. Now. I'm not going to give up on the angel <laughs> uh, being there or not being there. Keep in mind, this is, you know, the, around near the temple. Um, and as we pointed out, like, I believe all sorts of supernatural things happen there. I think it was a presence of, obviously, the most high, but of angels. And I I, I almost do think that at some point in time, uh, there was a commentator, uh, not Yohannan, who did add this in, that, you know, an angel came in and, and did this. And there was probably, you know, reason for him to do so because we see here that the guy is talking about the the waters becoming turbid, and I was even trying to figure out, like what does that mean? And it still seems like there's this this context that the waters would begin to get stirred and they would try to get in the water and he couldn't get in. Well, what's going on? And I think that's probably uh, what this this original scribe who, you know, ended up in our King James Bibles and so on and so forth, eventually added this in. And, you know, that can get, get you know, us into trouble because we see several other instances just in the Greek alone where things were added. Well, here's another one right here because I've really been, and this is my only comment on this section, and I, I'm really trying to figure out the differences between the Greek and Hebrew. And again, I don't want to use the word malpractice, but I, I, I'm getting... It's almost frustrating seeing how almost all the changes happen to to kind of tweak it in such a way to make it look like um, anyone who was obeying Torah was villainous, and and that you know Yahusha came to free us from it. Now we know that the Pharisees. Um, this is this is it's not really I think worded right. I have often stated that Christianity has 
I mean, we know that Christianity, Christianity as a whole has done away with the law. They've said that it is done with. We don't need to obey it anymore. Jesus came to free us from it. Well, guess what? The Pharisees, actually, rabbinical Judaism does the same thing. This is what Christianity doesn't understand. Rabbinical Judaism, which comes from the tradition of the Pharisees, and anybody can look that up on Wikipedia, uh, they, they have also done away with the law. That, that's going to turn some heads, but according to the Talmud and according to the oral law, so there's the written law from Moses, and there's the oral law, which apparently came from Moses, uh, which is easily debunked in my mind. Um, but there is, they will say that there is no written law apart from the oral law, which means that's a nice way of saying the law is done away with, because you cannot translate the written law unless if you first have the oral. Now, in the Greek here, in, in verse 10, this is what it says. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Now, in the, um, in the Hebrew, it says, therefore, it says this. It is Shabbat, and it is not proper for you to lift up your bed. Now, this could be just a tomato-tomato argument, but when I read this, I, 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 this is one of those passages where Christians really do read this and go, see, Jesus did come to break the law and do away with it. He was breaking the Torah. But that's not even what, in the Hebrew Gospel, not even the Pharisees or the Yahudim are claiming that. They are saying it is not proper. And I, I think that that's, I think it's just, a, a, it's those little tiny details that really change our perspective. Um, if they are talking about it is not lawful, they're clearly talking about their oral law. I think we can all hopefully agree on that. But proper is, is more in line with, you know, tradition. This is our traditions. You are breaking our traditions. Our, you know, this is rude behavior. It's almost the way I read that. So, all right, that's all I have on that. All right, regarding the the, the what you mentioned there with the angel, I, yep. Uh, also, same same uh, interest uh, in that being removed or not there. Uh, I mentioned because it, it is it is quite uh, interesting of what is stirring this water to provide healing. Um, is it something that is that we read that uh, Jacob 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 did with the uh, uh, the sheep and his herd and so forth with the wood in the water tro troughs of the animals, having them turn spotted and so forth. I mean, we all know that herbs and so forth can provide healing to the body and so forth. So maybe there was something like that going on. And uh, I will read, actually, I'll read, read, read something referring to that. So on verse 5, when it talked about this man who had been sick for 38 years, I thought, okay, is there anything in 38 that may, maybe that we could touch on with Scripture, any meeting or any, anything, any sort of uh, tie-in for that? And when I looked up, when I was reading Sirach 38, as I read it, I thought, wow, this really fits in with this man being sick for 38 years. And Sirach 38, 1 through 14, speaks to Elohim created medicine. And I'm going to read that so we can, we can, we can see what, the, what, that, what that says, what that means. 
in Sirach 38, 1 through 14, honor a physician according to your need of him with the honor due to him. For truly the Lord has created him. For when the Most High comes healing, uh, from the Most High comes healing, and from the king he shall receive a gift. The skill of the physician shall lift up his head, and in the sight of great men he shall be admired. The Lord created medicines out of the earth, and a wise man will have no disgust at them. What was not water made sweet with wood, that the virtue thereof might be known? And he gave men skill, that they might be glorified in, the, in his marvelous works. With them does he heal a man and take away his pain. With these will the apothecary, which is a pharmacist with an F, uh, make a confection, which is a sweet herbal preparation, and his work shall not be brought to an end. And from him is peace upon the face of the earth. My son, in your sickness, be not negligent, but pray to the Lord, and he shall heal you. Put away wrongdoing, and order your hands aright, and cleanse your heart from all manner of sin. Give a sweet savor and memorial of fine flour, and make fat your offering as one that is not. Then give place to the physician, for truly the Lord has created him. And let him not go from you, for you have need of him. There is a time when in their very hands is the issue for good. For they also shall beseech the Lord, that he may prosper them in giving relief and in healing for the maintenance of life. So I wanted to read that because I that, that 38 brought me to these verses of this man of 38 years and it it's it's to me it ants it totally validates the uh natural or herbal medicines natural naturopaths and all of that that uh uh, far, uh uh physicians could be using not the chemicals and synthetics and all of that stuff that all of these things and this knowledge is here for us to use to help heal these bodies of ours and also in this, we read that these these pains, these issues that we do have, they are they are caused from sin. So you know you have you have external factors, and then you have internal factors. So obviously we need to pray. Uh, we need to make ourselves right, and we also can seek uh, physicians that uh, heal naturally and so forth out there. So. I wanted to add that 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 brought me to Sirach 38 from this 38 years of this man being sick. So that was my next note. Any thoughts? Well, the one thought I did have on the man being sick is uh, uh, this is one difference from again from the Greek to the Hebrew, and I, I want to stress here that. I, I probably don't take the traditional view because I do, I, I take Torah literally where it says, you know, you choose the blessing or the curse based on our decisions. We, either we uh, obey Yah and we receive a blessing. And, and people who are in this Torah movement will say that, you know, when they, you know, they're adult people and they haven't been living for Yah and then they turn to him and start obeying their law and they notice all these blessings coming into their life, right? Well, in the Greek, this is what, 
he actually, what, what Jesus says, um, oh, now I just lost it. Oh, here we go. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. And here's, here's what I want to focus on. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. So it seems to be implied here that he's saying, look, you're in this position, at least this is how I'm reading this, you're in this position because you sinned. Um, or oh, he doesn't necessarily say that, but this man has been sinning. And this bad thing has happened to you because of the sin. But if you keep on sinning, worse things will happen. Well, then let's read what it says in the Hebrew right here. Then Yeshua found him in the sanctuary and said to him, Behold, you are healthy. From now and onward, do not desire to sin, lest a bad thing happen to you. He doesn't say, lest a worse thing happen to you. He's saying, don't desire to sin, lest a bad thing happen to you. I don't know. I just thought that was a, you know, again, just a little a little slight tweak, a deviation from um, how we read that before. I just wanted to throw that in about the, the sick guy. Yeah, Michael, you, 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 I think you hit that on the head with the desire compared to the other one saying, just sin no more. Uh, you know, we, we have to uh, take control over the the desires and any urges and battle this flesh in that sense. So I I, th- I think you're right on with, with that um, because obviously doing so will cause a bad thing to happen to you. Yep. I agree. Michael. Michael, um, take it away. Yeah, I can. Uh, I just had a question on number 16 and then I had a lot on number 17 um, and then I can read the next part. But um the question is: There's a difference in number sixteen, and therefore in the Greek, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day? And in the Hebrew, so they said, even because of this, does Yeshua go around in Yehuda to do these things on the Shabbat? So the Greek, they they're trying to kill him. Where the Hebrew doesn't even say that. I thought that was a big difference and i was i wanted to ask you guys if you guys had anything and then i can continue on 17 yeah i noticed that as well when i read it and i i kind of you know wonder if it's just one of those little explanatory notes again that again some monk some scribe whatever is like and this is what they you know this is what was going on when they were saying this that's that's all i've got on it um quick question yeah Go maybe, for it. maybe this is completely out of whack, but is it is it possible that Yeshua or Yahusha wasn't observing Shabbat on this day? Like that they had already gone wrong to the times as spoken of, I think, in Isaiah? And so he wasn't actually breaking Shabbat at all because it wasn't the right day? That's definitely a... Uh, that has been debated... There are other passages in Scripture, in the Gospels, where I could see that insinuated. Here, I don't—Rob uh, and Michael, you could jump in, too, on this. I, I don't see it insinuated here. It could be true that that he is not—but um, his entire defense in this is that he's not— He's not saying, well, you guys are right. You shouldn't be healing people on Sabbath, but today's not Sabbath. Um, he His entire line of defense is sticking up for the fact that he is doing it on Sabbath. And he's saying, look, I, I'm just doing what my father does. And in fact, um, 
a little bit further on, I don't think we've read it yet. Maybe we'll read it soon where he talks about his father's work and how he works just like his father. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I could sympathize with the idea that maybe it's not the right Sabbath day, um, but I don't see him arguing uh, in favor for a different day here. Rob, Michael, what do you guys think? Well, yeah, I, I mean, we don't know enough context about this particular uh, sick man's condition as far as home and so far. I mean, he's been waiting at this pool. Is he homeless? Is he, uh, you know, does he have a does he have a residence? Is he laying there just waiting uh, day in day out? Uh, so now that he's healed, he no longer needs to lay there and stay there. So he picks up all he owns and moves on. And and here's the Yahudim pointing this out, uh, just to, just just because they they can. Um, I don't have enough context to answer that myself, but I think. I think uh, Yeshua somewhat answers that question in 17 when he, he makes the statement, my father works until now. And I know Michael was getting to this, and, I, and I'm, I'm very interested in, in if anyone can expound further on this also. My father works until now. Therefore, I work just so. So he's does that mean the father is continuously working? He had his day of rest on the seventh day, and that is it. And uh, that seventh day, is he not going to rest again until the millennial kingdom? Or, or you know, what, what is he referring to that, perhaps, that he's going to continue to work day in, day out on our Shabbats? I mean, you know, healing, help, helping people, etc., until the uh, millennial kingdom? I don't know. Um, but I think that's an interesting thought. And here we, we see that Yahushua himself is saying, I work just so. What does he mean by that? Is it uh, is he actually working on the Shabbat, or is he, is is that context more so he's doing the Father's work on Shabbat, which is not breaking uh, the Torah, but it is uh, the Father's will, and the interpretation that the Yaudim are using is the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law, which is all the fruit and what is you know love, etc. So. That's my input. Um, well, go ahead. Anybody else said anything? No, Michael, go ahead and say what you want. And then I think we are running out of time, so we should probably finish this, because I know that the three of us probably really want to talk about the end of this chapter. For sure. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do 17, and then I'll finish reading. Um, real quick, on 17, um, and it kind of answers Rob's question, is that healing people is not work. <laughs> um, doing Torah on the set-apart day is not work, in my opinion. Um, we are supposed to be priests in the kingdom, and I just want to point out that priests did work on the Sabbath. So Matthew 12, 3, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? And then Second Chronicles 23, then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoadah said to them, behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has spoken concerning the sons of David. This is the thing which you shall do. A third of you of the priests and the Levites who come in on the Sabbath shall be gatekeepers. And a third shall be at the king's house, and a third at the gate of the foundation. 
and all the people shall be in the courtyards of the house of the Lord. But no one is to enter the house of the Lord except the priests and administering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy, and all people are to keep the command of the Lord. The Levites will surround the king, each man with his weapons in his hands, and whoever enters the house will be put to death. Therefore, be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. To me, this is just showing that priests can do work on the Sabbath. And if we are supposed to, and we will be resurrected priests, we're allowed to do good. We're allowed to do Torah on the Sabbath. And I think these two passages kind of showed that. Um, Stop doing the legalistic stuff and start doing Torah, and I think you'll be fine. Um, Anybody want to comment on that? And and, uh, if not, I can just continue reading and finish this out. I think you should keep reading. Oh, go ahead. Well, when you say work, I just want you to be clear um, that you express that properly. Um, As a priest uh, walking this out, when you say we work, you're talking priestly duties in reference to work, not work work, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's... um, Just just want to clarify for people listening. A priest doesn't work at a bank or nothing like that. So I think it's just if you're doing Torah within your heart, you're, you can heal. You're not doing the legalistic things. You're not sitting in your bed and, you know, observing Shabbat on, in quotes. But, uh, but yeah, um, I can finish this yeah, out. I'm just, yeah, I'm just clarifying for people listening if they didn't get take it right. That's all. All right. Go ahead, Michael. Okay. So, Yochanan 5, 18. Then the Yahudim wanted to put him to death even more. For not only did he loosen the Shabbat, but even more, he said that his father is Aloha. And he likened himself in equality to El. Because of this, Yeshua answered and said to them, Truth, the Son is not able to do anything to you from himself, only that which he sees done by his Father. For the things which he does, the Son does just like them. For the Father loves the Son and teaches him everything he does. And he will show him greater works than these, because you are not amazed. For as the Father who makes the dead alive and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whoever he desires. For the Father does not judge any man, but he gives all judgment to the Son, in order that everyone will honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whosoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truth I say to you, that he who obeys my words and believes him who sent me will have everlasting life and will not come in judgment, but will cross over from death to life. Truth I say to you, that a time will come, and is now, that the dead ones will hear the voice of the Son of El, and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he gives life to the Son in himself. And he gives him power to do judgment, for he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel about this, for a time will come that all those who are in the graves will hear the voice of El. Then they will go out, those who did good, into life, and whosoever did evil, into judgment. I am not able to do anything of myself, only as I hear do I judge. And my judgment is righteous and right, for I do not seek to do my will but the will of him who sent me. If I do witness for myself, it does not go out as true. There is another who does witness for me. You, you sent Yochan, and he did a true witness. I, however, I do not accept witness of man, but I said this in order that you, you must be saved. You may be saved. He was a burning and shining light and lamp, but you were not willing to rejoice one moment against it, among us. But I have a greater witness than Yochan that I fulfill the works which my Father gave me. The works that I do do witness for me. He also does witness for me. And in eternity you have not heard his voice, nor seen his shape. 
and his word is not in you, because you do not believe that he sent him. Take pleasure in the writings, wherein you think you will have everlasting life, and they are those which bear witness of me. But you do not take pleasure in coming to me, that you may have everlasting life. There is no admonishing of men to me, but I know you, that you do not have the love of El in you. I came into, wor- into the world from my father, but you did not receive me. If another one comes in to the, his world, you will receive him. How are you able to believe while you pursue after the exaltations, but you do not seek them, which are from Yahweh alone? Do not be so foolish to think that I am he who accuses you. It is the one, Father, who accuses, and this is Moshe, he in whom your hope is. And if you had believed in Moshe, you would perhaps believe me. But if you do not even believe his letters, how will you believe my words? Thank you. Okay, so the ending of this chapter is the icing on the cake. It's one of the the difference between the Greek and Hebrew. I'm not going to say it yet. I'm going to let I'm going to give Rob the first dibs on that because uh, I think he wants to speak on it, and it is it's absolutely incredible. And I think you uh, I think Rob knows what I'm talking about. What I wanted to cover a little earlier on in the chapter, uh, there's a couple things I want to touch on really quickly, and I've. It, I've almost been doing this overkill at this point, but again, and in, in the the very first verse that Michael read here from John five eighteen, the Greek says this. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, and so and this kind of actually answers the earlier passage where we noticed. Uh, and Michael, you noticed that it didn't actually say that the the Yahudim wanted to kill him. It actually does here in the Hebrew, so it, it kind of fills in those details, but. Uh, It says, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, stop, all right? So this is what the dispensation, this is a verse that the dispensationalists will jump in and say, see, see, yeah, Yahushua was breaking the Sabbath because that that evil, you know, that, that cursed Sabbath, he was breaking, he was freeing us from it. But here, and I love this. This is what it says in Yochanan 5.18 Hebrew. Uh, then the Yahudim wanted to put him to death. So it does say that. The context here is they did want to put him to death. Uh, or it says, wanted to put him to death even more. For not only did he loosen the Shabbat. So this is just what we were talking about, uh, Michael, before you started reading, that and Josh uh, threw a comment here in the comment section that he says that Torah isn't work, and it, it, that's if that's essentially true. That if we are doing Torah on Shabbat, we can't say it's it's work. He's loosening it um, so that people are actually capable of doing Sabbath, because by these oral laws that they were throwing in here, you know it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you couldn't. It's like you couldn't even get out of, be- you know, bed even to like, you know, I don't know. You couldn't pick up a knife and cut a piece of fruit or something like that. And I- I've, yeah, okay. Anyways, what I wanted to focus on before I hand it over is verses twenty through twenty-two, and this really. There's not a lot of difference here between the Greek and Hebrew, but this really stuck out to me. And I just lost it. But this is what it says. For as the Father who makes the dead alive and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whomever he desires. For the Father does not judge any man, but he gives all judgment to the Son. All right. Now, the context here is the salvation of the 
the the crippled man. Because remember, the Yahudim are really upset that he healed this man um, on the Shabbat. And they're like, you have no right to do that. He's like, well, I have every right to do that. So we often think of judgment in negative terms. We hear people say all the time, only God can judge. By that, they mean revealing negative components of their character. Only God can, you know, judge my negative uh, behaviors. Mind you, they have no problem being praised by men. They just don't want other men to point out the negative. Well, many Christians will add to this. They will, they, you know, Christians will say they will escape judgment because of Jesus. Well, this is true. Yahusha even tells those a little further on in verse 24, uh, those who obey his words and believe him will have everlasting life and will not come in judgment, but will cross over from death to life. That judgment is a bad one. If, if you are judged and don't get to enter life and you know you enter the second death, that's a bad judgment. All right. But also notice it's those who obey the words of the word, which is Torah. But what if we're living in the light? If we're living in the light, then we do want to be judged. The example given here is uh, Yochanan, in Yochanan, is that Yahusha has judged um, who he wants to give life to. He has healed a cripple. He has judged that he wanted to heal that cripple. Also, this is in keeping with Torah that the word is our salvation, meaning he can make the judgment as to whom he will save. But I wanted to give a couple examples here, we'll call this cross-referencing, of of what it is for Yahusha to judge us. Like, if we're righteous, this is how we want him to judge us. This comes from 2nd Esdras, and this is basically um, a crowning ceremony, all right? So, Ezra is seeing this, and this is what he says, I, Ezra, saw a pound upon Mount Zion, a great people whom I could not number. And they all praised Yahuwah with songs. And then in the midst of them, there was a young man of a high stature, taller than all the rest. And upon every one of their heads, he set crowns and was more exalted, which I marveled at greatly. So I asked the angel and said, Sir, what are these? He answered and said unto me, These be they that have put off the mortal clothing and put on the immortal. So we know that they're, they, have dead, they are dead, they have resurrected, they are now in their immortal bodies. And then he adds, And have confessed the name of Elohim. They are now crowned and receive palms. Okay, and he goes on to say, uh, although this is the best part, then, he, then said I unto the angel, what young person is it that crowns them and gives them palms in their hands? So he answered and said to me, it is the son of Elohim, whom they have confessed in the world. That's really exciting. So here we see Yahusha judging the righteous and saying, I, ju- I judge your works that you have confessed me in the world and I am giving you this crown. I'm going to place this crown on your head. Well, here's another one. This one comes from Enoch, and I'm going to be talking about this this, this upcoming Thursday on uh, Enoch's uh, apocalyptic 10-week calendar. All right? So there's uh, just quick context here, because this is a side point. There's 10 weeks of history that Enoch talks about, and he says this, that after this, in the ninth week, shall the judgment of righteousness, okay? So think of this, the judgment of righteousness. The judgment of righteousness will be revealed to the whole world. Every work of the wicked shall disappear from the whole earth, 
the world be marked for destruction, and all men shall be on the watch for the path of integrity. Well, what is this, what is this judgment that ha- of the righteous that has been revealed? And it, we learned what it was in the eighth week. It says this, in the eighth week, the eighth of righteousness, and this is just so we know on the timeline, the millennial kingdom, to which shall be given a sword to execute judgment and justice upon all oppressors. Sinners shall be delivered into the hands of the righteous, who during its completion, the righteous, shall acquire habitations by the righteousness. And the house of the great king shall be established. So, this judgment is that the wicked people and the sinners see that the righteous receive this huge reward um, of these habitations on the earth. So, I just wanted to point that out, that uh, what we see here, Yahushua talking about judgment. I just kind of wanted to reverse that, because as soon as people hear judgment, they think in negative connotations. But here it is used in both negative and positive in this chapter. All right. Back to you, Rob. Okay, great. I Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because something I want to add to that is the, uh, on verse 23, 22, 21 through 23, is referencing the honor to the Son. You know, the, the Son is given this uh, power of judgment and power of life, as we read in 21 through 23. He gives him life, and he's given this all judgment. Um, the, uh, the Father gives the Son life and power uh, to do judgment. The Son only does the will of the Father. The Yaudin could not see him as the Son. Just a, just a man compared comparing himself to the Father. That's what they saw Yeshua as. Uh, but we see here in uh, Isaiah, and I'm going to quote Isaiah here, uh, given the power, Yeshua is given the power of Yahuwah. And what is that power? Well, we read it in Isaiah 45, 21 through 23. Declare and bring near, let them even take counsel together. Who has announced this from the old? Who has declared it from that time? It is not I, Yahuwah. And there is no mighty one besides me a righteous L, and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved. All you, all you ends of the earth, for I am L, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, a word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, so that to me every knee shall bow, and every tongue swear. So here we have Yah speaking of this power. He's the Savior. Uh, come to him to be saved. Every knee shall bow. And out of his mouth comes uh, the word has gone out of righteousness. And so he's speaking. Uh, this, is the, this is what's given to the son of this, this power of, of over life and over judgment that the son is given. And, and he even humbly states that it is not I, but it is of the Father. So uh, to, to understand that is just, to me, is just amazing that the Son comes in such humility and uh, giving the Father all this honor and walking in the straightwardness and not taking any of this credit 
and uh, and because of that, the Father freely gives it to him. So I just wanted to add that that verse to what you just said. I thought that was great. Um, Michael, anything? I think 22 is amazing. It just shows the priesthood position that he was given. Um, for the father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto his son. The Hebrew, for the father does not judge any man, but he gives all judgment to the son. Um, Psalm 71.1, give the king your judgments, God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and you're afflicted with justice. And then this one just knocks it out of the park. Acts 10, starting with 39. Um, we are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Yah raised him up on the third day and granted that he be revealed, not to all the people, but to witnesses who had been chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people, testify solemnly that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. And to me, it just solidifies that he was, this was his job from the beginning, was to, to be our perfect high priest. You read the book of Hebrews, it, it's all about how the Levites failed. And that's why their, their sacrifices were, were worthless. But, uh, you know, our, our priest did not fail. And that's why he was ordained from the beginning. Um, I have one more on this first part, and then we could talk more. But I thought it was interesting on 24, the Hebrew really does it justice. Um, Truth I say to you, that he who obeys my words and believes him who sent me will have everlasting life and will not come in judgment, but will cross over from death to life. And, you know, a lot of people say that actually the term Hebrew literally means to cross over. So I thought that was cool. It's literally crossing over from death to life where where um, the Greek talks about passing from death to life. Um, I have a few more later on, but that's all I had on that part. Well, uh, okay, well, this, I had mentioned, you know, the icing on the cake, and this comes at towards the end of the chapter in verse 39. Rob, did you want to talk about that before I do? I was going to... Throw it out to you. Well, but before you go to thirty nine, I can hit on uh, one or two things prior to that, real quick. If uh, go for it. Know. Okay, so go. on verse verse twenty nine, uh, I, I want to pick up on the uh, well, what Michael just read. Also, uh, he, in twenty five, if you think about this, it said, "He who obeys my words and believes him." who sent me will have everlasting life. So, you know, we read John 3:16, but uh here, you know, Yeshua is pointing to the Father, believe in him and you will have everlasting life. So, I just want to point that out. Uh but to verse 29, then they then they will go out those who did good into life and whosoever did evil into judgment. So, on verse 29, my thought is we see qualifiers for life and for judgment. The qualifiers are doing good or doing evil. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's that one verse is just a very basic, basic truth. Uh, those who do did good go into life, and whosoever did evil into judgment. I mean, that's it's the basic, simple things that you know it should be obvious. 
Uh, and then uh, once again on 30, we see the the Yahusha only does the will of the Father. Uh, he hears how the judge, he's, he hears how to judge and is righteous. So Yeshua is judging, but he's hearing how to judge from the Father. So, you know, like I said, it all goes back to the Father. And I just want to just reiterate that uh, point before uh, uh, we jump on to 39. But a, a, a simple quick one for 39, and then no, you can go right on into it. Uh, Yeshua's work, which is only of the Father, is, to, is the witness to him. And it says here, the writings bear witness of Yahushua but they were not willing to come to Yahusha. So these writings written about him, uh, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't see this. They couldn't, uh, they, they couldn't uh, transcribe this. I, I'm not looking for the right word. But they, they were so caught up on the letter uh, of the law that they, they could not see him in that. So that's my quick one on 39, but uh, you can take it over there, and then uh, I can talk at the end here afterwards. Hey, hey, Noah, you can handle 39. I, I had something on 29 before you do that real quick. And I know I, I've been talking to Dave, and I, I think you have an opinion on this, and I wanted to ask you. On 29, then they will go out, those who do good, into life, and whosoever did evil, into judgment. And I was looking into Daniel 12, and I know Dave and yourself have an opinion on this. I wanted you to elaborate. And many, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine like the glow of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And Dave was the one who pointed this out, that it, it says many of those who sleep in the dust will awake. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> I thought everyone is resurrected in order to be judged. And I know, I know Dave has an opinion, but I, I thought you did as well on that. Yeah, I wrote an article on that. It came out about two or three weeks ago. Uh, of course, whenever an article comes out, I usually write it like three to four months in advance. So I'm a little rusty on it. But one of the things uh, I started observing a few years ago was a passage in, in the book of Enoch where it when Enoch goes to Sheol, he actually sees three different caverns, by some interpretations four. Uh, but he sees these three different divisions of dead souls in in Sheol. I think it comes from anywhere from chapter 18 to 22, right in there. Like It's like chapter 20 or so. And the, the angel is basically telling him, these three things are going to happen. There's the very wicked that are in this in this cavern over here. They're taken over there. They will be resurrected to be destroyed. Then he says, over here, there's the righteous. They're in this peaceful slumber. They will be resurrected in that day. However, the um, there's this third category of the sinners. And it, it says in there, it seems to imply, but not, not only imply, but state that many will not resurrect. That there are, there's a certain class, because we think in just... Uh, and it says here, the, the, the righteous and the wicked. The wicked choose the curse and the righteous, the, you know, the, the blessing. And there's, there's this, it seems to be this general um, 
classification of some people that they're just they I guess they live a good life. They they're sinners, you know, they sin, but they're not like wicked people and they die and that's it. And it seems in according to Enoch that they will never be destroyed. Their souls will never be destroyed, never thrown in the lake of fire, but they're never going to resurrect. They're just dead. That's it. So um, when I read that in Daniel, I see that as a second witness to uh, potentially to Enoch that not everyone will resurrect. Uh, that the the and again, I just want to point out here. I, I get from dispensationalists and Christians all the time. They go, they go like, oh, blessing and the curse. That's not applicable anymore. That's a Jewish thing, you know. And it's like, well, wait a second, you're what? You don't believe in you don't believe in the lake of fire. It seems like a curse to me. Like if, if someone's thrown in the lake of fire, that seems like a curse. But if they go to paradise or heaven, it seems like a blessing, right? So, and this, you know, this is what, you know, anyways, that's like the, the, the fullest of, you know, obviously Torah, right? We want to choose the blessing. We want to have blessings in this life, but also in eternity as well. That's my, that's my one thought on that. Um, and again, I, I'm not the the end all of that of that debate. I actually wrote that article to bring that forward because I want people to discuss this and go, what does this mean? Because everyone has this idea in our, in our head that, you know, um, everyone resurrects. I know that Paul um, quotes that in one of his letters: uh, "Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess." You know, above, the, you know, the, and in heavens, on the earth, and below the earth. He actually gets that from Isaiah, and I've looked back in Isaiah. And I'm like, uh, it seems like it seems like that Isaiah does say that, um, but he, but Paul then adds the above and below statement. Not that it's wrong, but that's not what it says in Isaiah. And I, I don't see that passage in Isaiah necessarily as a universal um, statement. It's almost like at that time type of statement. But I'm again, I'm not the end all that um, that debate. It's just what I have personally observed, and it's what I've brought forward to you know to see if anybody can if that can kind of uh, stir anyone's uh, mind and, and get them to kind of work that out. Now, and, and Michael, if you had anything else you wanted to add to that, but I I love this passage in in verse thirty nine, and. We have often quoted this. We we in the, my growing up in the church that even in the Torah movement we talk about this passage here. And I'll read the Greek. He says, uh, Yahusha says, "Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they and they are they which testify of me. And uh, ye will not come to me that ye may have life." All right. Uh, and then there there are other variations on this, like you know uh, that Moses he spoke of me. Um, oh, actually, he says that in verse 46 right there. Here he says, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. All right. So, so we almost get that from like, okay, okay, the whole point of Torah, like if you go to like a Protestant Baptist church or whatever, they'll say, well, you know, the point of Torah was to point to Jesus. So he, it's pointed to Jesus, and they couldn't they couldn't really see it because they were just so up on you know obeying the Torah and you know and so on and so forth. And he's he's fulfilled that now. He's done away with it, and and so it pointed to him, and we've got that now. But here's what he's this is the icing on the cake, guys, like the cherry on top of the milkshake. This is what he says in the Hebrew. He says, "Take pleasure in the writings." wherein you think you have everlasting life, and they are those which bear witness of me. But you do not take pleasure in coming to me. Okay, wait, wait. They don't take pleasure in coming to him where? In the writings. Take pleasure in the writings. He's saying, he's pointing back to the Tanakh, but ultimately the Torah, and saying, look, 
Moses writes of me here, take pleasure in that. Why aren't you guys taking pleasure in that? If you found pleasure in that, you would find me in there. That's how I'm reading this. And um, I find that just amazing. That that was so exciting when I stumbled upon that. Because uh, I, the last three or four years of my life, as I've been going, I, we're, we've started our, um, we're halfway through Genesis now. We've started our fourth Torah cycle. And it has brought us just so much joy reading through this and just, you know, discovering, you know, it's the naughty no-no. We're not supposed to be reading through this every year, but it's, it's brought us so much joy and pleasure. And, um, you know, finding Yahusha everywhere in there. So I, um, I'll let you guys give your last observations, uh, for here and what you wanted to add, but that, I think that just, that says it all for me right there. Yeah, that's, that's, yep. I I agree. And my last observation, I'm just going to recap that last part of 40 on is, so why could the why could the Yahudim not see Yahusha for who he is? And my, you know, my thought on that is Yahusha states that the Yahudim do not have the love of El in them, nor the word of El in them, because they do not believe that El sent Yahusha nor Yochanan, who was before him, and they see Yahusha not receiving glory from men. So this is what they're they're seeing. The Yadim pursue after exaltations from men and not Yahuwah. Yeshua plainly states that. Moshe is their hope, but the accusations come from the Father and Moshe because they do not believe. If they did, they would believe Yahusha. Uh, do they hold the letter up as an idol, the letter of the law? Do they hold it up as an idol? You know, that's my question. Do they hold it up as an idol and miss the heart? of the message, you know, loving Yah, loving your neighbor, because they're holding up the letter of the law to me as an idol, as as a, the end all um, of their walk. That is, that's how I have read this and taken this, is that that's where their lens is and why they cannot see Yahusha uh, for who he is. That was my recap of those verses. Uh, in addition to what Noel, Noel mentioned. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I mean, I think it, uh, it 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 all comes together when there's that passage in here where it said that they were upset at him for loosening the law. And when I read that, loosening the law, he's taking away the... Um, the, the, rigid, the, the rigidness of... of well... Obviously, all the added the oral laws they put it into, but yeah. he's actually bringing in the spirit, the, the intent behind it. That you know, like he's showing us an example of what the father does. He's like, hey, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm saving this guy on Sabbath. I'm healing him because this is what my father would do. And Torah is the face of our father, and I, I, I'm just doing what he does. He showed me everything. I'm just living out Torah, guys, and that's what I see by loosening the Sabbath. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I just have two quick things, and then we can end in prayer. Um, the the n- number thirty-seven. He also does witness for me, and in eternity you have not heard his voice nor seen his shape. Again, uh, we've mentioned this in previous um, shows that you know, for me, this gives more evidence to the targum that Yeshua was the one communicating 
um, the whole time. Um, no one has heard his voice or seen his shape. Um, I'll, my real quick um, comment on 39, um, Noel said it last, last um, Shabbat that uh, there was no Matthew, Mark, or Luke, right? The take pleasure in the writings is, or the scriptures is the the Torah and the prophets. It's that's what he's talking about. So um, take pleasure in those. Um, and then finally, just I, th I noticed a big difference in number forty five. Um, the Greek says, "Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust." And then. Um, in the Hebrew, do not be so foolish to think that I am he who accuses you. It is the one father who accuses, and this is Moshe, he in whom your hope is. And I just had one cross-reference to end it. Um, Deuteronomy 31.26, take this book of the law and place it besides the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, so that it may remain there a witness against you. And that's all I had on chapter 5. Um, Anybody else with closing arguments? I have presented I my closing arguments. Yeah, same. I'm, I am good. Thank you. Um, Rob or Noel, do you, you want to end us in prayer, or do we have any comments or from the from the chat? Yeah, I, mean, I can I can end it with prayer, and then we can open up the floor and do that. Let's do it. All right. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this time that we had here together and continue to discuss uh, what we've read. May these discussions uh, help us grow and understand your words and inspire us to seek and seek them out, dig deeper into them, find out these, these truths that you have uh, bestowed upon us so that we may be able to walk and understand how to walk in truth and in spirit, and we can worship you that way, Father, and that we can do so knowing how Yahusha does the will of the Father, and he does it so that the, the, the law is upheld and the law is love, so that his, his way that he walks, we can see, we can follow, and we can know that we are walking in love with you and doing your will too, Father. We ask for your blessings upon all those who hear this message and what, what we've shared. And we pray that uh, we continue to work in your ways, walk in your ways, and love others in your ways. We ask this in Yahushua's name. Hallelujah. Amen. All right, everybody, thank you for uh, showing up for our discussion on chapters four and five of the Hebrew Gospel of Yochanan.